Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings. In today's episode, a conversation with Damien Lenane, writer, artist, and editor of Paper Chained, an art and writing magazine for prisoners. Lenane's memoir, Raw, chronicles a childhood marred by physical and sexual abuse, and a man's subsequent search for identity in unhealthy places, such as violent gangs and the military. To discuss his memoir, but also his important editorial work, Lenane was interviewed by Readings Programming Manager, Christine Gordon. Here's Chris. Hello everybody, my name is Christine Gordon. I look after some of the events that happen at Readings, but I'm also lucky enough to be able to talk to authors that I think are interesting and that have got something to say. Today I'm joined by Damien Linane. Now, Damien came to my attention because he has a new book out all about his life, but he's much more than an author. This bloke is an activist, he's an artist, and he's also studying his PhD in law. He's a busy man and we're really delighted to have him on the Readings podcast today. I wanted to talk to you, Damien, because your story is not the normal sort of author story, if you like. You didn't just spend time locked away in your room writing something that you thought everybody should hear. You were locked away when you started writing, but in a different way to the normal run-of-the-mill author. Damon, explain to me how you wrote your first crime novel, Scarred. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely um, a little bit different of a story. I um, was sentenced to 10 months in prison at the end of 2015. And uh, long story short, I wasn't eligible for rehabilitation or education and there was no therapy. So I, I needed to find something to pass the time. And, you know, I've had a lot of authors come up to me afterwards, like uh, since then, they're like, I can't believe you managed to write a whole novel in five months. You know, it takes me a lot longer. And I'm like, you'd be surprised what you can accomplish when there's no distractions. Writing a novel in prison was what I did to escape, for lack of a better word, the monotony of prison life. I created a fantasy world where I could spend more time, uh, you know, in that world than, you know, in my prison cell, you know, really, yeah. It's really quite an extraordinary story. But that then sort of started, I guess, a spark in you in some ways because you continue to write. Yeah, so um, I'd... Like, I mean, I'd been a prolific reader all my life and I, and I, you know, I journaled and stuff. And actually, one of my big hobbies is I write for Wikipedia, top 100 editors by a number of peer-reviewed featured articles. It's uh, something I've been doing for uh, about 15 years now, but um, I'd never really written anything like outside of that space. And I do actually consider myself more of a nonfiction writer, but I couldn't do any research when I was in prison. So, uh, which is why I wrote a, a crime novel, part of the reason at least. You know, people kept asking me, like, you just meet people at, like, book events and stuff, and they're like, oh, you know, what's your story? And I'd tell them about writing this novel by hand in, in prison, uh, which is a story in itself, no editing software. If I needed to rewrite something, I, you know, literally had to get a new piece of paper and write it again, and I had to write every chapter twice to post one to my friend. Yeah, I kept telling people of this story about how I wrote the novel, and everyone kept saying, Damien, you know, your novel sounds interesting, but your uh, the story behind the story sounds a lot more interesting because, I mean... There was a very uh, long and protracted, uh, you know, reason as why I ended up in prison. You know, there was, there was a, a lot of childhood trauma that, you know, manifested and stuff. But yeah, like even just the experience of writing that in prison, people said they wanted to hear more about that than, than the novel itself. You've lived already and you, you're a young bloke, really, and you've lived this extraordinary life. Your autobiography has just come out in November called Raw, and it takes people through this sort of journey about how you got to where you are. 
I'm really interested in hearing more about RAW, but also understanding what light went on when you realised that you could be an activist for people that were still in prison. And you did that by writing and drawing. Imagine that no one's ever heard of Paper Chained. Yeah. After I finished writing my novel in prison, I then taught myself to draw. That's that's another story. But basically, I was making all this art and writing. You know, I wrote a couple of short stories as well, but I, I was really frustrating because I couldn't share it with anyone. If I wanted to share one of my short stories with, with someone, I had to write it again and then post it to them and then, you know, wait two weeks to get a reply. I was really frustrated that everything was just gathering in a box under my bed. Or there was no constructive created outlet, at least where I was. And so I, I talked around. I was like, has anyone ever heard of something like a prison? and magazine, you know, some way, you know, we can share things and everyone's like, what are you talking about? There's never been one of those. Turns out there's been a lot of them actually, but there hadn't been one for a very long time. I've actually, yeah, found 75 dating from 1912 till today, partially what my PhD is looking at. So I said to myself, I'm like, you know, this is, you know, really ridiculous. There's no therapy in prison. I'm rehabilitating myself. Yeah, it was hard to stay motivated when there was no like feedback on your work and no way to share it with people. So I was like, when I get out, I'm going to start up a prison magazine. And thankfully, somebody else had the same idea around about the same time. Long story short, I've come on board with her and said, you know, hey, can I help you with this? And she's like, yes, definitely. And so that's called Paper Chained. It started up in 2017. Uh, you can read it for free online, paperchained.com. She produced that annually for five years, and at the end of which she was like, Damien, I can't do this anymore. Is there any chance you'd like to keep it alive? And even though I knew I didn't have the time or the money for that, I I said yes, because I knew how much difference that would have made to my mental health in prison. It started off as a poetry journal. Is that right? Am I right? So the first few issues was mostly poetry. I actually put one of my short stories in, that I wrote in prison in the first issue. There was a couple of personal narratives and stuff. And I think there were, there might have been a couple of little sketches as well, but it was mostly writing. These days, because we have a bit more funding and it's easy to print and stuff, and in New South Wales, they've got educational tablets for in- inmates that we get loaded onto the tablets so every prisoner in New South Wales can read it. It's an extraordinary achievement, actually, because this this magazine, it's, it's changing people's lives, isn't it? It's giving them a little handout. Absolutely. Like not long ago, I went through and I compiled some of the feedback for my employer, like, you know, for like, you know, our our end of year report. And I went through and I was kind of overwhelmed. I sat down and I went through all the mail we've been sent and to to try and get some snippets of things people have said, like people have said things like, you know, uh, you know, this has absolutely changed my life. This is the closest thing I have to education in prison. Did you cry when you read some of that? It was definitely very emotional to to read and because, I mean, this is what, you know, there's that old saying, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And, you know, what I needed in prison was a way to, like, you know, help express myself. And so that's that's what I'm doing now. And that's, like, to be honest, it, it is a lot of work. Like, I'm ed- essentially editing a magazine by myself while I'm also completing a PhD. But, I mean, I, it's, I, I feel really strongly about the work and it really helps people. So it's easy to keep working on it and stay motivated. And so how does it work? How does Paper Change work? Do people write in with sort of contributions to it? I know that it goes out to over 10,000 people already. And as Damien said, you can read it online and I've had a read. There's some really good work in there. We do get a couple of contributions from former prisoners, but almost everything is from people currently inside. And so basically they write in, they send art and writing, and then I scan it and format it in the magazine. You know, I got a a letter from someone in California yesterday. Almost all of our contributions are Australian, but we do have a handful of, yeah, word gets out because we're online. This person who sent me this letter in California, 
Turns out they'd been reading the magazine for a couple of years and I had no idea because a friend of theirs in Arkansas was printing it and posting it to them. Because that's the thing, because it's available online. Um, you know, I, I don't actually know how many people read it because I, I do know that half a dozen prisons in Australia actually print it themselves and distribute it to the to people inside. At least half a dozen, maybe more. David, congratulations. Doing something like this where you just keep communicating with people that are inside, seems to me not everybody can do that. It's like climbing Everest or something, you know, hey? It's it's that type of human feat where you go, whoa, this one person is doing this. I, I do consider this to be my, my dream job, but it, it's funny because uh, something I actually touched on in my memoir is that I have autism and I pretty much spent my 20s being a, like let go from customer service jobs because I really struggle in that person-to-person environment, whereas, you know, I, I very happily sit at my computer and like you know type up all these things and you know I do all the graphic design myself these days and yeah so I am perfectly happy like sitting at my desk working all day but yeah if you put me in a customer service job I will fail miserably you know (laughs) (laughs) one of the joys of getting older isn't it is knowing what you're good at and what you're bad at (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) so is there a way that you can make paper chained I mean, hopefully a podcast like this can help. I mean, I'd love more people to read something like this just to get an idea of people's lives in prison and just to hear what people are thinking and believing in there. It seems such an important means of communication. Have you ever considered taking it out further? Yeah, I do actually have like a big hopes for it. People keep asking me like, what do you want to do with your PhD? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like this is a passion PhD. I want to do my research. I want to publish my research. And then to be honest, I think I want to go back to making my magazine, trying to, uh, I'd like to try and get more funding. And so uh, currently it's like a part-time job. That's how much funding uh, we get We get for it. So I'd like to make it more full-time. I, uh, you know, I have these dreams where like maybe we even like, you know, help employ people who are released from prison, you know, a couple of people, because, uh, you know, finding a job after you get out when you've got a gap in your resume and a criminal record is, uh, I, I got a bit lucky at first, but I did get, you know, like, you know, knockbacks and, you know, like, it's just so counterproductive, like, don't commit crimes, but we also won't give you a job, you know. <laughs> so in your autobiography, Raw, came from lots of people asking, hey, I want to know more about you, Damien. But you do a bit more than that, don't you? You use some of your academic ability to construct why these things happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, like when I was writing the first draft, or at least for the of my childhood, the target audience was me. There was this very complicated custody battle between my parents. Very short version, my father completely fabricated allegations that my mother was abusing me as a manipulative ploy to obtain custody of me because he knew that when docs investigated, it would take them a very long time to do anything. And, and in the meantime, I would be transferred out of the custody of the person who the allegations were made against. That was standard operating procedure. But um, my father was very manipulative. My mother, unfortunately, had become the victim and for like 15 years, all she wanted to talk about was the child abuse. And um, I was like, mom, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, I tried to block it out as much as possible. And then when I sat down to write my book, I was like, I had a vague understanding of what happened, but I, I didn't know exactly what happened. So actually, I put in about four freedom of information requests. I got my entire docs file, which was like about 500 pages. How long does all that take, that sort of process? I applied for my docs file and it came, it probably came like three months later, but 80% of it was blacked out. It was redacted because it turns out you're only entitled to the information about you. You're not entitled to any information about other parties, such as your parents or like siblings, if you had them. And so I actually, you know, I got this completely useless docs file and then I actually emailed them. And I said, 
I can't use this. And they're like, oh, well, um, can you get permission from people? And I go, oh, yeah. And so I got a, a statement from my mother saying that she was okay with me getting the data. And I, my father died a long time ago. So I sent them his death certificate. And then I applied again. And then three months later, a much less redacted version <laughs> came in the mail. So I suppose it took me six months to get my docs file. But I mean, applying for stuff through Freedom of Information is really hit and miss. The only thing I applied for, because I just wanted to, you know, fact check and, you know, make sure I was remembering things correctly when I was writing the memoir. The only thing I applied for that I didn't get was my psychology and correctional services records from my time in prison. I applied for those and those took 18 months to turn up. They actually only turned up, I want to say in October. So like by the time my book had already been finished and sent for publishing, but uh, yeah, so it's a, uh, yeah, freedom of information. It's a, uh, it's a long game. Yeah. And what sort of reception have you had to your book raw, to your memoir? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I got a um, good review in the Australian and, and one in the Newcastle Herald. Both reviewers really loved it. And the feedback has been overwhelmingly completely positive so far. And a lot of people, I've been told I have, uh, I'm very good at describing things. Well, the reason I call the book Raw is because this is everything that happened, including the things that were really difficult to write about because I'm ashamed of them. But basically, I was trying to paint a picture of like how everything happened and the abuse I was a victim of in childhood impacted the rest of my life. And that included, you know, making some very poor decisions. But I mean, I just wanted it to all come out. And until I was 28, 29 years old, I was a really private person. I just stayed home all the time. I had never talked about what happened to me as a child. And I suppose in one way, my memoir is kind of compensating. I'm like, yes, I, I didn't tell anyone about anything that happened to me for 20 years. And now I'm going to do the exact opposite. And yeah, this this is this is all of it. And it's People like I uh, say it was very brave to write about like the child abuse. But the thing was, I didn't actually find that too difficult to write about because I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, in fact, for 20 years, I um I didn't tell people about what happened happened to me because it seemed like this like a uh, shameful secret. Whereas now I can, I literally get booked to, uh, to give talks. And if it's relevant to the talk, I will tell a room full of strangers that I was sexually assaulted as a child. And there's no reason that should be difficult because I didn't do anything wrong, you know. Whereas like recounting some of the things in my, particularly my teenage years, but like like uh, also in my 20s, like some of that was difficult to write about because I'm like, people would like me more potentially if I didn't tell them I did this thing, you know, for example. So that was more challenging. But um, overall, the memoir was very cathartic. But there was this period, especially when I got my docs file and I found out exactly what my father did. There was a period where I became very angry and distressed for a couple of months because, you know, my, by that stage, my father had uh, been dead for a long time and I, um, I couldn't confront him about it. At the same time that you were writing your memoir, were you also working in Paper Change, this online magazine? Basically, I, I always have a few things, you know, balls juggling in the air. Like, so um, yeah, I get mail every day. There was only one letter today, but normally there's like two or three letters in the mail every day. I'm always working on my PhD. And for a long time, I was kind of, you know, working on this memoir in the background. Yeah, yeah. Tabian, because I'm interested in it as you're writing your memoir and you're going through all these emotions about your life and, and the reasons why you are where you are. And you're also doing this act of activism, if you like, mm -hmm. with the paper chained. Mm -hmm. How much do you think that your life can be an influence on other people's life? If you're exposing yourself like this and making sense of the decisions that you made in your early adult years, that's a story that needs to go out, surely, in sort of paper chained in that way, because I imagine you're not the only one that has suffered Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of men in particular, like who have been encouraged to, to not talk about things. You know, I, I grew up in a household where if I cried as a child, my father would berate me and tell me to stop acting like a woman. And so I was taught from a very young age that expressing yourself was something to be ashamed of. 
I mildly regret this now. One of the covers for Paper Chained, I didn't get anything that was high enough resolution from people inside to put on the cover. And I'd already used my art for the previous cover. And so I, I got AI. And the reason I did that was because I felt too conceited to use my own art for two covers in a row. And somebody said to me, like, Damien, no, you've, you've got to encourage other people by, you know, putting your work out there as, as well, you know, yeah. I think anyone would find the memoir like entertaining. You know, I, I've written it in a way that it's enjoyable. But um, the underlying message I hope will get through to some people is that you need to talk through trauma because I tried to bottle mine up and pretend it didn't happen. I considered that as like a sign of strength at the time. I'm like, unlike my mother who literally talks about this every day and has done for the last you know, 15 years, I'm moving on. So I went the complete opposite and I tried to bury it for 20 years and then oversimplified version, um, my partner told me that she had historically been sexually abused herself. It wasn't her fault at all, but she's unintentionally re-traumatized me. That dragged up everything I'd been trying to bear for 20 years. And then I went and committed a crime against the person she said did that to her. And so I I yeah, bottled this up for 20 years and then it all literally came out in an angry fall. So um I imagine that that's a pretty common space, common experience. You know, there's this feeling in the public that everyone in prison is like, you know, a, a cold-blooded murderer or, or some kind of sex offender. And, you know, sure, there are some of those people in there, but uh, there's a lot of people in prison who dealing with a lot of trauma, but then got put in a position that could have happened to anyone. And, and possibly because of their own trauma, they've reacted badly. Like by the time I was 29, like well, that's when I went into prison, I think I'd only told four people I was abused as a child. And then even then in no detail, like it would have been, that's as descriptive as, as it would have been. Like, yeah, if I had been able to talk through it with someone, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone to prison in the first place, you know. Damien, what's the future looking like for you? What are you going to do? What's the dream? Yeah, somebody once asked me about a five-year plan, and I'm like, no, I'm like, oh, absolutely not. Like, most people use a PhD as a stepping stone to a career in academia, which does not interest me at all. But um, really incredible opportunities just keep coming up, and I am very happy to see what life presents to me and take those opportunities. So, I mean, there are certain things that I definitely want to do. Like, I want to keep working with the magazine. I want to keep doing my own art. But, I mean, I am very happy just to see what life... Go with the flow. Yeah. I'm really pleased to hear that there's going to be writing and there's going to be artwork in your future. That sounds like a gift for everyone. David, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Readings Podcast today and just to hear a little bit about the influences that you've encountered in your writing, but most of all, the inspiration that you're giving so many people with your paper-chained work. Thank you on behalf of the community. Thank you for this type of work. Raw came out in November. You can get it at Readings, of course. It's been a pleasure to talk to an author just like you, Damien. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. It's, uh, I've had a lot of fun. It's been great. As Chris mentioned, Raw is available via all reading stores and at our website, we'll find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. Thank you for listening.